to the Monsters of Television podcast. I'm Nick Campbell. I'm Matt Owens. We have Nolder Patrick. Hello. And we don't have Karen. Which means, Noel, you're going to have to carry the intellectual portion of today's podcast. That's asking a lot. Huh. That's asking a lot. It is. <laughs> For this uh, Sausage Party podcast, we, um, we're going to talk about some television and stuff. We're going to talk about Spike TV all out. Yeah, Mansers. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> we'll talk about Man Caves and... Reruns of CSI and the Star Wars movies. Yep. Yeah. Blue Mountain State quality television. Yeah. I don't, I don't think I watch enough manly television. I think that... I mean, no. Because Gilmore Girls doesn't count as manly television. No, we watch a lot of CW. Yeah, we watch a lot of girly stuff. Well, we, we are going to talk about Fairly Legally Gone, and I don't think I have any of us are the demographics for that show. <laughs> so, usually around this time we talk about The Cape, but I'm tired of talking about The Cape, so I don't want to talk about it anymore. Um, what A show that we have all watched, that we all quasi-enjoy, most of it for the most part, is How I Met Your Mother. Even though it was a rerun last week, um, it's not this week, is it? Not a rerun this week, is it? I think it is. I don't think it's back until next week. What the heck? Yeah. But we didn't talk about uh, the funeral episode, and I think it's important to talk about because it's a uh, it's a pretty big deal. Um, how did you guys feel that the, the funeral episode played out? All right, Noel. So would you like to rain on the parade first and then have me say good things, or do you want to do you want to give it the old switcheroo? Do you want to destroy my good thoughts about the episode? I like the funeral episode. Really. Yeah, no, I was actually perfectly fine with the funeral episode, except that it needed more Danny Strong, but everything <laughs> needs more Danny Strong. Um, no, I, I really enjoyed the funeral episode, um, mainly because it worked in the same way for me that I think everyone behaves at a funeral, which is especially a, a, more of a wake more than anything, waiting for the funeral to happen, was that you just kind of assume roles to make sure that the, the, grie- that the grieving are okay, basically. I mean, we all do that, and I think that was one of the things that How I Met Your Mother has always done really well, is work through those societal structures, basically, those social conventions that we all deal with, whether it be the hot, crazy scale, which is totally true, or whether it be, you know, you're the person who's trying to make the grieved feel better by laughing at horrible getting kicked in the groin YouTube videos. Right. So, I mean, I think there's a lot of good stuff there that they mine really nicely to keep Marshall together, basically. So you would say it was a success. What we were talking about in the transition from the death episode to the next one, would you say that they successfully... Um, they carried the tone while still keeping it comedic. Like, Did you feel enough of a resolution for that storyline? Absolutely. Yeah, no, and I think a lot of that goes to, again, Jason Siegel. Yep. Oh, who, big, yep. big bucket of win for Jason Siegel, by yeah. the way. He did, a, he did a great job with those two episodes. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things, I mean, that Jason Siegel's really doing really well is, along with Neil Patrick Harris, of course, but Siegel's able to deliver these nicely tuned monologues, especially, like, right at the end when he's talking about right before they listen to the message and the message is playing, which is such a nicely done scene. It really, really is, where you can hear the message playing while he's talking to them, and everyone's just doing really nice reaction shots, but, I mean, Siegel's just selling it, and it's really working really nicely, so... No, I think Siegel carried that episode really, really nicely. And I almost want to see him get an Emmy nomination for that. I think he kind of deserves it. For those two episodes, I could see it. That'd be nice. Yeah, yeah um, I like how um, Jason Siegel's character is uh, prone to tears a lot. And then the, the one time that he is 
uh, it's acceptable for him to be volunteer side. It's not a comedic event for him to be crying. Mm-hmm. He's a strong rock for the whole thing. He really he grew up in those two episodes, and that I think is great. So I know you're disappointed, Matt, but I like the episode. I am. I wanted to argue with you, so now all steam is lost. I don't even want to do this anymore. <laughs> um, no, but you're right. It was um, it was very relatable. All of the different roles that people take on, and I think my favorite personally had to be Robin. Her and her Mary Poppins bag of goodies um, for everyone in the episode, and people just continuing to come back to her, asking her for stuff, including getting a fifteen-year-old girl drunk. Um, I liked I liked her role in that a lot, um, and it was nice to see Lily and uh, Mrs. Erickson have that moment. Uh, you know, Lily kind of come to her aid, even though it wasn't necessarily in the way that she was expecting. But um, it was nice for the two of them to have that moment together. Absolutely. So there was like, you know, of course it was going to be very Marshall centric, but there was some good, there was some good character growth for Lily there as well. Um, so Barney this, this has been a nice, yeah. And Barney too. We get that at, at the very end of the episode. Ad, um, yeah. Yep. And that, uh, which has been something that they've been focusing on a lot this season. And it's nice to see it coming back. Um, so yeah, we get a little, we get a little bit of growth for everyone. Once again, Ted is left out in the cold as something that Noel has been discussing this entire season so far, but, and last uh, season, and last season. Uh. But yeah, there were a lot of nice little moments for for a couple of the the main cast uh, last last week. This season has especially focused a lot on fathers lately, which and plus the, the whole lost thing as well um, with Jorge Garcia showing up. And I, I I'm just wondering if suddenly a lot of the writers on the show became dads over the summer. <laughs> and now all of a sudden they're like really anxious about fatherhood. Cause I mean, that's been a big thing this season, I think. Yeah, oh, Not it has been a storyline, but Marshall's anxieties about having a kid mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. So I'm wondering if that's something that's been going on this season as well. Uh, I, I am uh, not uh, personal with any of the writers in the show. So uh, I'll have to get back to you. Do you follow them on Twitter? Do you follow how I met your mother writers? I don't. They have a Twitter account. Do they? Mm-hmm. I, I follow Psych. I don't. I think and White Collar. I'm following them. Is it funny? Yeah, they're good. It's good. And they post. That's how. That's for the main reason why I know that they're not. Why when they take breaks and stuff because they say there's not going to be a new episode. We're doing table reads and all of this stuff. So it's actually yeah. a really good way to keep up with the production of the show. Right on. Yeah, your social networking. Yeah, social networking. It's better than probably Psych's feed, which is. Uh, Usually Miley Cyrus videos. <laughs> I'm serious. They they try to Miley roll me all the time. Really? Yeah. And it's good that new Twitter has the uh, has that little window that the preview window, so yep. you don't just click on the link uh, because then I get I would get Miley rolled and I get party in the USA stuff in my head. But they do that, or they try to um, promote something like uh, James Roday and Delay Hill being on SNL or um, something that the uh, the Fast Indians are doing or something like that. They don't really usually talk about production. But it just might be because they're in a lull right now, and I don't remember back when they were shooting in production. Oh, so long ago. Yeah. Well, uh, speaking of social networking and shows that are on Mondays, we have, uh, yeah, do you like that segue? Watch this. House this week um, (laughs) had a lot to do with Chase's Facebook profile. Well, I'm assuming it was Facebook because they never actually mentioned it. They always, did you notice that? They just kept saying profile page, your profile page, your profile. Like, they never said. Facebook, but even when they showed the you know cheap little graphic on the computer screen, it was Facebook. Yeah, well, when they showed it. I think it was it was the Facebook font, but it was called like Facebase or something like that. Facebase. I hate made up name or when people try to be funny, you know, like <laughs> right. my book and Facebase and things. It's obnoxious. But anyway, let's talk about the show. Yeah. So um, 
Chase's promiscuity is finally catching up with him. Is he? Uh, he got kind of a cyber stalker uh, right this week. Someone messing with his life. It was that was interesting. Um, I think that for um, for his uh, for his promiscuity though, it's I think that they're just kind of got in a rut. Like they had to do something else with him because just him being a man horse gets tiring, and exhausting. Just like you know, house of stick gets tiring, and exhausting every once in a while. Mm-hmm. So. Um, they'll try to have him be the, the, uh, a, a one-woman man with this, this new girl, and, um, and then probably bring Cameron back at some point. You know, mm-hmm. you know that's probably I would say season finale. Just because I don't, uh, I don't, I, I think that the house is now delving into all the treacly kind of storylines they possibly can get into. Well, there was talk early on of a thirteen and Chase relationship later in this season, and that's what I'm hoping uh, that they weren't setting up for because yeah. God. Would be awful. It seems like the timing would be off now that Thirteen is, you know, into relationship. You know, she had her big thing with Foreman and stuff, so she's not sleeping around with everyone as she was before. Mm-hmm. And now Chase is. It doesn't seem like they're necessarily on the same page. No, and I, I'm. T- I would hate for this series to delve into the friends territory. Right. Everybody... Just everyone who hasn't slept with someone is now going to end up sleeping with that person. Yeah. yeah. Just exhausting. I mean, I already think that they're running out of ideas since they, you know. Get brought up putty, but if they get into that territory where everybody's just going to start sleeping with each other, it's stale and boring, even more than it already is. But there was an interesting dynamic to the Huddy relationship this week because it wasn't Huddy, it was House and Rachel. And he was doing all of this stuff with Rachel. Yes, it was for Cuddy. I mean, he's, he said it was kind of for himself so that it's Rachel would be gone. But you can really see he loves that little girl. And that moment at the end of the episode when she climbs into his lap and like hugs, come on, come on! Didn't you feel a little twinge? No, I even felt, even I felt someone with that. a stone cold of a heart as Noel might have felt a little something, a little a little beat, a little something. Then I am a robot more than Noel because I felt nothing for that. Really? I, I, I knew exactly what they were doing. And oh I was, sure. I was un, I was un, unfazed by it. I, I mean, was, it's 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 close to you know Vincent lying down next to Jack Cheap at the end of the episode, but. <laughs> I, I fell for it. I, I liked that in this episode we got to see, yes, he was doing this supposedly for selfish reasons, but you can also see that he was trying to help Cuddy because this was important to her, and he really is developing a relationship with this little girl. And it's, it stems from the fact that she's already starting to show some sociopathic tendencies by being a very good liar, and she's like three or something. <laughs> but uh, grant, you know, regardless, there's a connection there. He's starting to, to develop a relationship with this little girl. Challenge. Uh, except fit, yeah, <laughs> fit a lost reference to every segment of this podcast. Is that my challenge now? Yeah. Okay. Because so far we've got we've got two shows and you've got two lost references. Yep. Challenge accepted. Let's do this. A challenge. Uh, gentlemen's agreement. Huzzah! <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, no, I mean, I don't... I, I like the, how House treated Rachel, and I, I like uh, that it was kind of like the uh, Pat Logan sort of scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I am still not. I, the, his having feelings just makes me feel uncomfortable. I'm not sure why. I'm not sure why I don't want him to grow. I, mm-hmm. I feel like that the show is ruined by his growth. But it, it, we still see that he's still the same because he's still treated. Um, what is Amber Tamblin's character's name? Who cares? Okay, he's still treated Amber Tamblin like crap this episode. He was still being an ass to prove the point that, yeah, 
tough love gets better results than coddling people. But, see, but now it's, it's less about him being a, a jackass and more about him being a father, which that's how I feel more about the Amy Campbell character, that he's being more of a father to her. And that's what makes me annoyed. But it's, it, I, I like that little dynamic change, and that wants me... That wants me to have Amber Tamblyn stick around for longer. I want because I don't even know what the extent. I don't know if when Olivia Wilde comes back, is Amber Tamblyn leaving? I don't know what the deal is with her on that show. I don't know, but I thought she's brought a very good dynamic to the show. It is. I I agree with that. I think that Amber Tamblyn does have an interesting dynamic with House. They they needed somebody that was different from all the other characters, and the fact that she's so hyper intelligent um, brings that kind of because she's she has that that kind of moral streak that Cameron always had, but then she also has that more, that intelligence that can compete with houses. If, if a little rough right now, cause she's so, since she's so young. Yeah. Not jaded or cynical, I mean, uh, at least. Not yet. Look what happened to Cameron. So we'll, <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Right. But, and, and she, you know, she still has an interesting dynamic with people. I liked, uh, I liked her and Foreman's conversation when they went to the camp, and I like her, her little snipes at Chase throughout the episode, calling him a whore and a cheap whore and right. stuff like that throughout the episode. So yeah. she does definitely bring something nice to, uh, to the interactions with everyone on the show. You know what I don't care about anymore in House? Who? A storylines. Like, I, do you remember? I, don't, I can't even recall, vaguely, I vaguely recall now what the actual disease and illness was, the, uh, the drill sergeant or whatever. And his son, yeah. It, I don't care. I think, I think it started in season four. I think that was the first season where I stopped really caring about the meta. Because that's when the show first like really changed. The whole game for the new people coming in and stuff. Yeah. And that's when it really seemed like a lot of the medical stuff started taking more of a backseat. They changed the show a lot. They started focusing more on their characters. It became less of a medical procedural. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's continued. I don't, I don't really care. Don't care. Mm-mm. I only care about how it relates to what is going on with our characters and like yeah. how that um you know like how it, it fed into the tough love conversation uh that amber tamblin and house were having that episode and things like that i like how it feeds into those but the, the st- there's no stake in the people themselves i didn't really, I didn't really right. care. yeah and I, and I stopped watching it was when it stopped being a medical procedural because i liked that it was medical procedural yeah right but i mean i stopped watching when they stopped caring in large part, even though I knew it was going to have to happen at some point, because there's only so many bizarre zebra cases you can yeah. do, instead of it being horses, it needed to be zebras. <laughs> right. You can only, you know, fake that for so long before it just starts getting really absurd. That's true. Yeah. Um, although, here's, here's my fear. Because they are doing a lot of uh, treacly uh, saccharine storylines, and a lot of, uh, and having a lot of drama in, with their characters, and it is focusing a lot more on their characters than it is the medical stuff. I think two seasons, it's going to be General Hospital. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. It's going to it's going to start taking place in Port Charles. Well, there was a spinoff of Port Charles with the vampires. Oh, I want House with Vampires. <laughs> Fox, get on that, right? Zombie vampire. Ooh, zombies and vampires. Zombie versus vampires versus House. Sold. <laughs> I'm in. Let's do it. Let's write it. On Monday night, also, we had Chuck. Um, Best episode of the season. That was really good. Like, a lot of their Sarah-focused episodes have been very good lately. It was so good. I mean, I want Timothy Dalton to get his own show playing Volkov after this. <laughs> Wait, the opening shot of him painting the beagle when, they, when Sarah walks in? So good. 
I know. <laughs> it was um, a great episode. Yeah, no, it was great. Um, and, and a lot of the things, and a lot of what made this episode work for me, is just the little things that they did. You know, instead of depending on the buy more and their slapstick comedy to infuse comedy, they did a lot of little things in this episode that infused comedy. Little things like um, when they showed the gobbler's photos, and Casey looks all disgusted and says, "That's impressive." <laughs> that was good. Yeah, uh, the finger kiss thing that he did. Like he does a little finger kiss, and then he's like, "Was that weird?" And I, the finger was the finger kiss weird. Um, you know, just a little, just little small things throughout the episode, and that's kind of what Chuck has always used to be about. Anyway, was you know, doing those kind of little character interactions, and they seem to have gotten away from that a little bit as they kind of fly further and further away from their foundation. And, right. Um, the, the, the stuff like that grounds the series and grounds the episode. And then so that when Sarah does, you know, these amazing things like, you know, kicking John Casey through a plate glass window in order to save uh, Chuck's mom at some point, I mean, ostensibly on her, on the path to save Chuck's mom, um, that makes that kind of stuff more emotional and stuff, as long as you kind of ground this, the series. And Ellie finally had a storyline that was worthwhile. Uh, do you remember Ellie? Because I almost forgot Ellie was actually on the show. Is that his sister? That's his sister. Okay. Yeah. It was because uh, she, um, you know. She, she played awesome, so good. Oh, what a cool little ruse that she had. That Her uh, understanding of her friends and family, just uh, an elaborate kind of manipulative ruse, that not only establishes that she is a character on her own, which is good, but also establishes that she is a Bartowski because, you know, that, that kind of thing seems to run in the family. <laughs> she seems way better at Chuck than Chuck does. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, Chuck inherited his dad. Maybe uh, Ellie inherited his, uh, her mom's traits. She's a little frosty. <laughs> but no, it was a really strong episode. And I mean, I was watching it on Hulu, and I actually watched it. I didn't do other things while I was watching it. Yeah, it, it kept your attention. And stakes at the end. I mean, not only did you know uh, Casey fall to his near death, but also uh, Chuck doesn't know if Sarah's actually you know what side of the fence she's on anymore. Um, really? I mean, come on. I mean, I know now, Chuck's stupid, but <laughs> in in hind now in hindsight, we look at it, and of course, I mean, the, for most of the episode, Sarah has been very upfront. We like, you know, Chuck, I love you, I miss you, that kind of thing, but. Um, I think that the episode sold it well, at least within contained within the episode. Um, that you know that Chuck does kind of debate whether or not Sarah is kind of going to the dark side, so to speak. And um, I mean, you know, after outside of the, the containment of the episode, when you when we kind of look back on, it, you're like, how could Chuck even possibly think that? I, I, and that's the problem with it is that it, it it that one that anxiety. I mean, haven't we moved past his his low self-esteem issues at this point. I mean, yeah, I'm, it just, I'm not entirely convinced that outside of the vacuum of this episode that we should be having that discussion about him not trusting Sarah. Right. It's, I mean, when you've gone through so much trouble to get a ring at the Chateau in France and all that craziness that happened last week, Ugh. You should be able to trust her. <laughs> right, exactly. And I, I don't even want to talk about last week's episode. That, that good to my nerves. That, that whole episode that would had such a great little event that was planned for it, and then the whole thing crumbled around it. Like the whole rest of the uh, the episode was just 
some bandages and glue that held that thing together. Um, but I think the other thing that this episode really proves is what they really should have been focusing on much earlier on is that having a villain with a face and a personality mm-hmm. oh so much more interesting than it being an organization. <laughs> it is. It, that's absolutely true. Uh, I mean, that was the problem with, uh, with Fulcrum, I suppose, yeah. until they gave Fulcrum sort of face and uh, Chevy Chase of all people. Which was great, because, I mean, it became Chevy Chase. It became an evil Steve, well, a Steve Jobs. Uh, saying evil Steve Jobs is redundant. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, but no, that was fun, too. I mean, there was something for you to root against, essentially, as opposed to this faceless organization. And even when they introduced um, the ring and they had Mark Shepard come on for that one episode right. as the head of the ring, and you're just like, yes, Mark Shepard's going to be able to do something with this. And then he doesn't do anything. He does and nothing. You have to wonder why the hell that they would call someone who plays slimy and evil so well uh, and ask him to come on not to do anything. It's true. I mean, it, they had him on for that episode. And then the, the only other face that you have for the ring is the, uh, the work from work panel, like the, uh, the, the, the darkened panel with the big ring behind it. It's, it is literally a faceless silhouette. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it is good to have Timothy Dalton be the big bad for this, for this thing, especially Timothy Dalton because, God, he's so good. Yeah, he's having so much fun with this. I mean, his whole thing with digging through the eyeball was just played so straight from him. While you're getting great reaction shots from everyone else, right? It's just so much fun. It is so much fun. Um, Which I mean, when was the last time we were really able to seriously say that about Chuck? Yeah, not not often. Not not for a long time. It's not been fun. And even, like, even Chuck's fight with the Gobbler was actually, I think, really well executed, plus the, the tag on it with him sitting down in the chair and someone else wanting to get the chair. <laughs> Can you be funny. a big dog for five seconds? Yeah. It was really funny. Plus, I mean, the guards coming in with no one said anything about her birthday. <laughs> right. Which is totally true, because if you're in any kind of group environment where you have to work with a bunch of people and somebody brings in cake... That's you're instantly uh, in charge of that situation. Like you have total control. You have cake. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so no, it was a really good episode. So my only hope is is that next this uh, tomorrow's episode follows through with that energy and that excitement. And I'm worried based on the promos that it's going to get bogged down in self seriousness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I'm surprised that it's coming to a head so quickly. I, really? Are you surprised about Chuck moving okay. quickly to the line? Yeah, let's, let me rephrase. I am disappointed that it looks like that it's coming to a head so quickly, but I am not surprised. Well, it wasn't... I mean, weren't they supposed to be near their um, season finale anyway at this point? Before they got an extra order? Oh, that's true. You're right. Really? So I'm assuming that they're facing more stuff going on here. Yeah. They're having to do well, kind of what they did last season, but they had more notice, I think, this year. Yeah, to I, get the additional episodes done, so right, and hopefully we don't have another Hummingbirds episode like last season. Don't don't even don't even try and jinx that. Don't do that. <laughs> you you have your your odd like space filler episodes like that, like in Lost. <laughs> <laughs> when you have your stupid Nikki and Paolo episode in season three, it was there for no no reason. <laughs> 
That's no, but that's cheesy. That is always what I think about whenever you talk about the honeymoon. That's the episode that I always think about. Is Nikki Dollop? Is the Nikki and Pile up episode? Yeah, because it's bad enough that they tried to shove these characters down our throats that were never there, that were never there, <laughs> but then they give them their own episode. It's different than like the Rose and Bernard flashback episode because those are characters. Those are like you know C characters we actually care about. Right, right. Like Nikki and Paolo. They weren't there. They weren't there. They did not exist. Right. And honeymoon. I wish they didn't exist. It was seriously the campiest worst episode of the show. Well, I mean, they have they have a twenty four episode order, so I don't know what's going to happen next week then, because they have twenty four episodes, and we're only on episode thirteen come right. tomorrow. Exactly. I, I don't know what they're going to do. Um, so John Larroquette's back um, the week after next, which is going to be awesome. Yeah. So. I love Ron Montgomery. He, I mean, Ron Montgomery. He's one of the. the Here's one of the high points for uh, the great season two. The season two that, that is the reason why we still watch Chuck. It's season two, and he was a, a big part of that, um, at least in the beginning. I mean, even though he was only on for one episode, I, I love Chuck vs. Seduction. I think that's a great episode. Um, Grunka. I mean, that's just a great name. <laughs> Matt, you should name your child Grunka instead of Juliet. I think that's, I think that's I, the I, way I don't know if this is something that I can do. <laughs> You don't want to name your uh, child after Ikea spoons? I mean, it's interesting. <laughs> not going to lie. <laughs> Does anybody yeah. know what night Fairly Legal actually comes on? Is it Wednesday no. or Thursday? It's one of... It has to be... It has to be Wednesday. Cause yeah. Because that's... USA's huge... But then again, do they have a show that airs at 10? Yeah. Because they have, ha- have three shows, right? On mm-hmm. right now. They have White Collar and Royal Pains and Fairly Legal. Are they all on the same night? Is Bird no. Is Bird Bird is, no, Bird Notice is off. Huh. I don't know, but I mean, I am. Um, we. Uh, I want caught up on fairly legal today. Yeah, and, on home because that's that's how I watch it too. And I mean, it was okay. I mean, it was significantly better than Covert Affairs, but the bar wasn't set very high. Because <laughs> um, gosh, Covert Affairs was just so paint-by-numbers doll. Um, but it still fits so snugly into that USA mold of hyper-confident person in a serio-comic environment that I'm just kind of bored at this point. I kind of want USA to do something different. And I know that they won't because the marketing for what they've been doing is just way too good. Their Blue Skies approach to programming is just too good for them not to do this yeah. over and over and over again, which they seem hell-bent on doing. Mm-hmm. Um, no one's really copying them either, which is also the really impressive thing. Um, Isn't it? Yeah. You'd think that they would, I mean, even in style or something like that, they, they would try to, I mean, you'd think that there would be a ton more shows with terrible opening sequences. <laughs> the fairly legal opening credits were pretty rough, but I mean, not as bad as COVID affairs, obviously. Yeah. No. Um, but yeah, no, the show's. I mean, she, it's fine. I'm just not quite sure that she's a mediator per se. She's way too invested in her client of the week to be a mediator. <laughs> it's true. Um, she's a life counselor, and um, more than anything, which kind of gets in the way of her being almost a lawyer, I guess. Right. But see, I don't really mind that. Like, I'm okay with that. Um, well, they have to give her something else to do, I understand, because otherwise I don't think that the show would be as interesting. Yeah. 
if she was just stuck mediating, actually mediating environments. I mean, it's the same reason that you don't watch the police do paperwork on, on procedurals. I mean, it's, see, that's what I liked about procedurals. That's why. I, that's what I liked about that first season of The Wire was that you know they had to type papers and send them to the court to get approval for things. How is that interesting? It's not. That, that's why. Why I did you like this. that? That's, that's because you don't get to see that. I find that entertaining because that's actual police work. It's not going out and catching the bad guy. You uh, do you see. watch cops? <laughs> it's not about paperwork at all. It's about going down Boulevard, busting crack addicts at 3.45 in the morning. That's yeah, what but it's you, like. You know what? I want to see them doing paperwork at 5 o'clock in the morning for those crack addicts. <laughs> Hold on a second. They have to. Pause. Well, that was appropriately timed. Yeah, right? Yeah. See? That's the exciting stuff. <laughs> High-speed chases. Armed robberies. That's what I want to see. I don't want to watch the paperwork afterward. Well, why, I will was say... That? Was it a one... true TV show? It, I don't even know if it's still on. The one... it was I believe it was the producers of Cops 2. Did that show, and it was it was about... Like, bringing the... Uh, perps, like, back to the police station. It was about, like, booking and... <laughs> The and you know like the people in jail cells like complaining because they were all drunk and stuff and that show was not interesting not nearly as much so as watching cops. Well, Sorry, procedurals are boring. It's well, a, I think I think we can I think Nick and I can both agree that there is one reason to watch Fairly Legal though. It's because Matt Owens is on Fairly Legal. I am. <laughs> oh yeah, there's a dude. There's a character, uh, her assistant Leo. Yeah? Uh, yeah. I was almost named Leo. Is that right? No, it's a total lie. Continue. <laughs> but, um, yeah, he's a... Uh, if you were, if you played uh, World of Warcraft... Uh, I used to. Did you? I did. Yeah, like he, a year or two. He might be you. Whoa, okay, he, now I have, have to watch this show then. Guys, start calling me Leo. <laughs> right. Man, well, if it, if it is a Wednesday night show, I might have to start trying to watch it then, because now that Modern Family and I got divorced, I don't have anything to watch on Wednesdays. You don't watch Modern Family? Anymore. I don't watch it anymore. Yeah, it's fucked. The sophomore season is just not good. It's just downhill. Um, the other reason to watch Fairly Legal, though, is uh, uh, what's her name? Sarah Shaggy? Uh She's a Stone Cold Fox. Uh, she is. And I like her character. Uh, do, do, do you like her character? I do, actually. I like Kate a great deal. Yeah. Her oh, God. Kate. Her name's Kate. I'm getting her. Her name is Kate. I'm opposed to all all female, uh, female characters and just females in general. Even, like, people that... I meet in real life whose name is Kate, I automatically like do not like her. Why would that be, Matt? You see, Nicholas, that's due to the television program Lost, 2004 <laughs> to 2010. Kate Austin, you mean? Yes, I do. I mean Catherine Ann Austin. <laughs> um, no, but uh, her, the fairly legal character, Kate, is, uh, is very good. Uh, I, I like that she is... I mean, she's leading. The, she's a, a leading female character. She's flawed but strong, and um, I like that. I mean, as opposed to a character like uh, who a lot of people would consider Sarah Walker a strong female character, but she's often just an adjunct to Chuck's goofiness. She's not her own character in a lot of ways, even though they're trying to make that separation with this season. But uh, she's uh, but she's kind of perfect. Like she her, she doesn't have her only flaw is that she's unwilling to commit. And they've even taken care of that flaw. <laughs> So uh, it's nice to see a, a character that has a lot of flaws, a lot of um, a lot of things to work on, a lot of room for growth, and that. But she's still strong and independent, and um, I love. That's why I love that character a lot. So why should I watch Fairly Legal 
if I can just go home and watch Ally McBeal. Because <laughs> there aren't any more episodes of Ally McBeal. You've watched them all. Yes, but that doesn't matter. <laughs> Peter McNichol is not on Fairly Legal. No, but that, that's good. I'm, I'm always for a good, strong, flawed, interesting female lead character. Because, I mean, people are right. There aren't enough of them on television all the time. And so it's nice to have... You know, and again, you know, they tried with Covert Affairs. But right. But it just that didn't really work out so well. Although no, Annie's kind of boring. I mean, her one big anxiety was about her long-lost lover from Sri Lanka. And it was kind of dull. I mean, the guy had no personality anyway when we would see him, and it just, you didn't get any sense of her beyond that, aside from the fact that she was hyper-competent, but that's just a USA character. Mm. is hyper-competent anyway. So no, I, I'm, I'm with Nick in that Kate's a nicely drawn character for the show, and I would be a reason to keep watching, actually. She's not as insanely neurotic as Allie McBeal is, so you have that going for you as a differentiation there, Matt. It's a, hers is more of like a, like a hubris based injustice. It's like a, she's, a, she's constantly putting herself on the brink of failure because she's got this innate sense of justice that whether or not it's good or not, it's, uh, or it, it actually is fair, it's her own sense of justice that she will chase and uh, doggedly until she uh, achieves it. And uh, even though these first two episodes have her uh, achieving that goal eventually, even uh, sometimes a little, um, it's a it's a little far, far fetched for her to reach that goal, especially in the second episode. But um, I'm excited to see like eventually somewhere down the road that where what happens when she doesn't, when it just kind of falls in her face. And yeah. they kind of open it up that she uh, she's constantly precariously on that fence all the time where she can succeed uh, immensely or she's going to fall flat on her face. And um, Yes, yeah, it's, it's kind of written that you kind of expect that to happen at some point. Yeah, but it's also a USA show, and they rarely ever fail. Yeah, that's true. Which is, I mean, part of the problem with yeah. their whole <laughs> genre formula in general is that they never really fail. I mean, Sykes has been toying with that idea in really interesting ways, and then backed off. Yeah. I, I don't think we'll see her fail too much, and if she does, it'll be remedied by the next episode. Yeah, well, I, you know, I don't expect it to be uh, long-lasting, but I do like uh, that they kind of make it that she can fail. That, that she's not Superman. She's not Neil Caffrey, where she's going to succeed at all at all points, even uh, and then even when she kind of looks like that she might not succeed, or whenever Neil Caffrey at least doesn't succeed, it looks like that he might not succeed, Peter Burke comes in and saves the day. It looks like that she's def- she's on her own, and um, even though she's got a lot of support, like a support system around her, at the, uh, she's constantly running away from them. God, yeah. it sounds like Michael Weston. <laughs> they really do have this formula down, don't they? <laughs> they do. I mean, it's a really nicely. De- I mean, it's a really nicely developed like network genre that they've developed here. Yeah. And I don't see them veering away from that anytime Ooh. soon. Even like they're even like the new the um, show that they've got coming out about the hotel concierge, who can get anything for anyone type of thing, nothing. No, I'm that sounds familiar, but I'm which what's it called? I don't remember what it's called. I just remember that the um, guy from Dollhouse is in it. Um, en- Enver Gorjak. Oh, okay. He's in it, hmm. but he's not playing the main character, which is. Sad, but I think USA should take more advantage. I want more as as good as the promos are. 
I want crossover episodes. Right. That's what I want. I think USA should just go all out and start doing some crossover episodes. Well, they'd be able to do that, I mean, structurally, with the exception of a couple of shows. Um, I forget which shows are... I know at least one of their programs is owned by the WB, but they produce most of their stuff in-house, I think. Yeah. So they'd be able to do that without too much of a problem. They always say that White Collar and Royal Pains will never be able to do a crossover episode for some reason. I can't remember one. But I could see a psych, uh, a psych fairly legal crossover. That'd be all right. Well, they're close enough. Yeah, I mean, just, I mean, how far is from San Francisco? I could conceivably see a Burn Notice White Collar crossover. Maybe. Oh, I think they should just do a big multiverse crossover and make it a big chain event. One thing. Yeah. Like when Hannah Montana was on that episode of Sweet Life of Zack and Cody, and then everyone was on like that So Raven and stuff like that afterward. Who are exactly. They? And then <laughs> here's how we cap it all off, is that they all meet at WWE Raw. Yeah. <laughs> it's perfect. We should, someone needs to tell Ted on TV what we've got planned here. Okay. So what else came on this week? A lot of stuff that came on this week in preparation for sweeps in a couple of weeks. So, yeah. Um, and with this, and uh, the state, the of, the state union. of the union, yeah. right? Messed some stuff up. CW pushed their Friday nights, but I still don't understand the logic behind that. Really, airing just the reruns of Thursday on Friday and pushing back the premieres of probably the most successful block on a Friday that networks ever had. Wow. Do you, do you want to talk about Fringe a little bit there, Matt? No, it's not even... Not, like, this isn't even a Fringe segue yet. This is solely about the, the CW. I really don't understand why they did it. I mean, sure, Vampire Diaries is arguably their biggest show right now. And Nikita does well, but I just don't get the... I just don't understand why they would push back the premieres of two of their other pretty big shows for, uh, to air the previous night's episodes again. Well, I think they probably just want to nurture those newer shows, whereas the audience for Smallville and Supernatural are the audiences for Smallville and Supernatural. No matter if they get another season, those audiences really aren't going to grow. But for newer shows, you still have time for people to come in. So I think that may have been their mentality. Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> I totally deflated your argument. I, there was no argument. I was just confused. I just wanted to know why. I mean, maybe I, because I'm, I, I'm as excited for Smallville to come back because where we left it in the winter was good. And I want Supernatural to come back because I want to know if my excitement over Fringe winning two Fridays in a row. That's right. Key demo, 1849. 2.2 rating. Won the night both weeks. I want to see... How Supernatural actually airing new episodes is going to affect that. I didn't get to say lawyered at the end of my spiel. I want... <laughs> Sorry, I took it from you. I will not allow it. <laughs> I will not allow it myself to be lawyered by you. I've been trying to fit lawyered into my everyday speech this somewhere. I just want someday to be able to fit in lawyered. Somewhere. It's ridiculous how many inside jokes of how I met your mother has have permeated, like, my actual existence. Really? We have slap bets at work. We have an actual... We have two slap bet commissioners at work for just such occasions. Nice. Uh, I've played the gentleman before, and it's so much fun. <laughs> we just had a gentleman's agreement. Like, so much... Whenever I'm making up statistics, now I go to the number 83. Like, that show has so much good stuff that you can just kind of throw out there. Sure. Thursday? 
Thursday. Do we want to talk about Thursday? Um, Thursday was kind of disappointing. Really? I felt it. I, I was disappointed by a lot of Thursday. Community was really the only one that I wasn't in love with. Yeah, the, the community wasn't great. It was alright. The Office was mediocre too. The only thing I, I really liked about it was I, I actually really enjoyed the Aaron, Pam, Oscar, Gabe, like, C-plot to the episode. That I really liked. Because Aaron is just so stupid, and it's the most adorable thing in the entire world. And Oscar being so competitive and trying to help her win. Apoplexy. Um, apoplexy. Uh, I, I liked that aspect of it. The, the, I mean, I, I get, the, I get the, the character stuff with Andy, and, you know, he had to prove himself, and he used the way lesser team to kind of, you know, make that sale. And Michael, with Michael's help and stuff, mm -hmm. uh, and kind of prove himself to Dwight and Phyllis and Stanley, like, I get that, but that, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't that great. No, especially compared to last week. Last week's episode was last really, week was really good. Last week was a very good episode. And, and this is coming from someone who hasn't liked the show in almost three years. Right, it's, it's not great. I mean, the show itself isn't great, but last week's episode was very good, very uh -huh. funny. Um, this week's episode, I think the, the actual best part about it was the full open. With oh, yeah. oh, easily, <laughs> easily. Not just because they are so similar and they just get each other's humor, but the the little um, the little industry nod in there of oh, is it any job, job openings? openings? He's like, not yet, but I'll let you know. That just that <laughs> killed me. It was good. Like I never thought that Ricky Gervais would ever come to that show because I figured that as even though he's executive producer, I figured that's this kind of name only. Yeah, I figured the concept like he doesn't. But for him to come on the, the show, uh, that was, it was a brilliant piece of, uh, of writing there for, for them. Really acting. They're going all out in this in Steve Carell's last season because that news this week just hit that Will Ferrell's got a four episode arc at the end of the season. Oh yeah. Uh, now, how did you guys feel about that as people who actually watch The Office? Since I don't watch it, but hate Will Ferrell. So. <laughs> I like Will Ferrell a lot, but I think it's cheap. Yeah, I mean, I think that a, a lot, I mean, what they were going to do eventually when, once Steve Carell left is that they weren't going to fill a position immediately because uh, NBC's big into stunt casting, so they're going to probably stunt cast that role for a while. And I think Will Ferrell is probably a big part of that. Um, I just don't see, I mean, sure, it's a big thing, but I can't see Will Ferrell ever taking that job. If it were to ever come up, I don't think he would take that role. It'd be interesting, it's interesting to see Will Ferrell in... Um, in a, uh, that his kind of his comedic uh, his style in that setting because they because you know Will Ferrell's kind of slapsticky kind of yeah is a lot different from a lot of what The Office does it is so um, it'll be I, it might clash I'm not sure how Will Ferrell's going to play it um, I mean obviously he's a very diverse comedian in a lot yeah. of ways but I don't yeah I'm not sure I'm, I, yeah I'm interested I to see how he's going to fit in. Yeah. on there. But, I mean, with Ricky Gervais and Will Ferrell, they're bringing a lot of people in this final season, just like Lost did in season six, where they were bringing, <laughs> like, all of these people back, you know, for the final season, like, really trying to sell it and make you remember all of this great stuff. You um, are determined. I'm going to win this challenge. Um, but, so, what's been up with Jim? The last two seasons, he's just been gone. Like, last week, he was just gone. He was in the cold open, and that was it. This week, he was around, like he had. There was a reasoning behind it, but he was gone for the majority of the episode. Like, what? 
did John Krasinski piss someone off in their office or something? Like, what's been up with him? Here's my problem with, with this week's episode in general, is that I've said it a lot of times that I love seeing Jim fall on his face. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I think that, especially over the last few seasons, they've built Jim up to be kind of a superhero. If for him to fall on his face, I think it's very funny. Yeah. Because um, they usually do it very well. This whole episode, they built, uh, they kind of built up this to this thing, uh, to this competition at the end with him and this uh, whole you know, elementary school buddy. And, um, yeah, he was kicking stuff around, and he was, you know, on the talk radio. Like, not really funny bits, but you, you felt like those leading up to something. Yeah. And then, you know, they had that final competition in the break room, and it was nothing. Like, it was essentially led up to that one line that didn't mean anything, that where's your rocket pack, Zuckerberg? Yeah. And that line isn't very funny. And I feel like that they probably came up with that line at some point. And they're like, how can, how we, can we put that? How yeah. can we put this in the episode? And that's what they ended up doing. And so, again, yeah, they had uh, Jim kind of eat curl a little bit for this episode, but for nothing. It, was, yeah. um, it wasn't nearly as well done as it usually is when Jim kind of loses. And... Um, it's, that, that was disappointing. There's a lot of disappointment in this episode. Uh, especially compared to the last to week. To last week, yeah. yeah. That's true. Um, but uh, 30, 30 had a nice little... Uh, th- sorry, no, let's... Uh, please, I'm ready to move on to 30 Rock. But there was a little... There was a nice uh, um, Andy and Aaron moment at the end of... It was Shrek 2? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shrek 2. Which, just that alone was... Really, Ellie Kemper is fantastic. Oh, she does a good job. She does a really good job. Uh, yeah, I like her a lot. Um, I don't like the uh, I don't like that they're doing the almost exact same thing that they did with Jim and Pam. I, I think that's jumping the shark a little bit, but yeah. um, I do like her. I like her character. Gabe is cool. I like Gabe as a yeah, character too. I like Gabe too. Uh, I didn't. I wouldn't picture him as being a horror movie fan, but you know, what else? Yeah. Um. Anyway, but yeah, Thirty Rock was, was decent. Um, you only thought it was decent. I thought it was decent. Was I funny. thought it was one of the funniest episodes they've had in a while. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, my sides and jaw were hurting after their Uptown Girl duet. Yeah, oh my god, yes. That was good. That was good. I was dying. Like, I just, <laughs> I, I couldn't stop laughing after that. And plus, I mean, I love that they went back to Jack trying to behave like a network executive again. And doing the disaster relief thing. And I had just kind of forgotten that Mel Gibson owned an island. I didn't even know that. Does he actually own an island? Yes. Oh, I didn't know that he actually did. Is that at, what? Uh, that's a, actually his is island. That what it, that's its name. See, oh, okay. I want. So, was that more or less funny to you? Because you knew once they said it, you knew it. I thought it was this made. I thought they completely made up the whole yeah, thing. Yeah. I had no idea there was this island named this that was owned by Mel Gibson and that was occupied by John Goslin, which may or may not have been made up. <laughs> No, no, so I was just, I was laughing extraordinarily hard at that. So, no, I really enjoyed it. Um, I thought De Niro's cameo was okay. Oh, it's great. Oh, you really, I loved it. I mean, I liked his whole thing about the birds. Yes, we were laughing at first, but then we found out our laughter excited the birds. Sexually. <laughs> sexually. No, it wasn't that. It was the fact that Robert De Niro is apparently actually British. That was the part of his cameo that I really liked. So no, I really enjoyed the episode. Um, I wanted more of the reality show because um, that whole premise is just brilliant. Yes, I think. I hope um, they keep that around for a little longer. Yeah, no, they have to because it's just too good to let go of. Yeah. 
Um, I mean, the whole C-plot with Lutz and the Apocalypse was just silly. Yeah, it was. Oh. I was. I was nice to see, like, you know, more Lutz actual, like, involvement, though. And I yeah. love that Lutz has his confessional, like, like he's on a reality show, and he does his confessional in the mirror. It, yeah. <laughs> no, so, I mean, while that C-plot kind of weakened it, I thought the entire arc of the episode was really, really funny. Yeah. And plus, um, the tag for the episode with the... Uh, meeting, oh, man, yeah, and all the looks. That was great. And then the it, I mean, at the end. it felt like they were speaking to everything I hate about ABC's programming. <laughs> right to me. <laughs> and, I mean, come on. Operation Righteous Cowboy Lightning is the greatest <laughs> operation name I've ever heard. So, no, I think it was actually a really strong episode that, I mean, starts off well with a joke about severed robot penises and just keeps going. And so, no, I'm with Matt in thinking it was one of the most delightful episodes that 30 Rock's done in a long time. I think they've really come back strong with the past two episodes this season. Did you guys hear that? All I got out of that last statement was, I agree with Matt. (laughs) (laughs) It's on the record now. Just wait until How I Met Your Mother comes back, and then we'll yeah, disagree. Yeah, this is all going to go out the window. We're not going to be friends anymore. Um, and no, that's okay. I'll just watch you in Fairly Legal instead. Oh, okay. Yeah. Maybe I'm more enjoyable. Uh, my, the USA version of myself is far more uh, agreeable. At least they'll bring me a black and white cookie. At least they'll bring me I'll bring you a cookie. Next week, I'll bring you a cookie. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. I don't get a cookie? I mean, I can ship you one if you pay me back for postage. No. Well, then no, you don't get a cookie. Now, do you do you you watch Parks and Rec, don't you? No. Neither. Of, okay. Well, we can't talk about that then. Right. Because it was great. Karen was here. Karen loved it. Yeah, I know. And Karen's not here to talk about. I knew you didn't watch it, Noel. I couldn't remember if you did hey, or not. Hey. In my defense, I did watch last week's premiere, which we talked about. Um, <laughs> and um, I mean, I I still appreciate it. Um, I laughed at Rob Lowe's character just because he's got so much energy. But the formatting is just, it's something I really can't get beyond past, just because any time I get into it, they just cut to them talking to the camera, and it just zocks me out of it again, and I just, I can't do it. We're, we're back to our, our mockumentary um, soapbox, yeah, so I'm not going to go through it again. So, I'm not going to, I don't want it to get canceled, if that means, if that helps you, I really honestly don't get canceled. I mean, it, it's not it's not the one we need to worry about. No, it's community. It's community, and, and thankfully, also, it's Perfect Couples and Outsource. Uh, Both of them have dropped a lot in the last two weeks, and it makes me so happy. <laughs> Do you think that it's the time slot that's hurt Outsource? Yeah, absolutely. That's the, yeah. that's the only thing it can be. Uh, the show did so well. It's It has to just be its 10.30 time slot. It's either the old American racists that were watching it are watching their procedurals at 10, or they're in bed. Right. Those are the only things I can think of, but it's definitely the 10.30 time slot that's killing it. That's unfortunate for network affiliates. Yeah. They're probably going to scream blame murder about that. And you would think that Perfect Couples would be doing better, because it's in a pretty nice slot to lead in for The Office, but uh, what did you do, like a 1.7 this week? Oh, that's because that show's terrible. Well, yeah, I get I mean, I get it. I understand why it is that it's failing. But uh, you would think you'd be doing... I mean, Community is not that big of a show to, ha- to have that 8.30 time slot be like the golden time slot. Because yeah. actually, I would say that that probably belongs to Parks and Rec. I would say being between The Office and 30 Rock is probably the best place. But anyway, um, 
Well, I think the other thing to look at is that, I mean, 30 Rock's done fine at 10 o'clock. I mean, its yeah. numbers really haven't changed at all, which I think is, really speaks to that show's core audience that's going to follow it anywhere. Yep. All 12 of us really like to watch 30 Rock <laughs> every single week. <laughs> That's good. I'm glad to hear that outsource is uh, being chased by the, the cancellation bear. Yep. Community did its... It did a 2-2 two, two again, I believe, which is good because it's consistent, but it's still kind of... Blah. still cause for some concern. Yeah. And plus, I mean, its ownership issue is the other problem. I mean, all of those other programs are produced in-house at Comcast, NBC, Universal, or whatever oh, it is now. Oh, God. <laughs> yep. And... and <laughs> Which did go through this week. Um, yeah. So, which is why that 30 Rock episode was even better time was yeah. the fact they, they seemed to just know that it would happen. Um, so, but no, so, I mean, with its ownership by Sony, I mean, Community is the one that would get cancelled first. Mm-hmm. Damn you! Deregulation! <laughs> Downton Abbey's new sign? You guys should check it out. No? Okay. <laughs> Neither of you guys are watching the Showtime programming, are you? No. no. You really should, because, um... Has episodes improved? Yes, I heard it did. Show. It did. I did not like, um... I did not like the pilot. There was not... Matt LeBlanc was in the very beginning, and that was it. He, was, he had one scene in the beginning, and it just wasn't that funny. It moved a little slowly... Even though they got the entire premise out there, like in the in the pilot, but um, episodes two and three have been great. Huh. I'm I'm really enjoying it now, but unfortunately, its viewership has dropped since, um, like a lot. So it, it might be in trouble, which is also weird to me. Just time slots interest me so much because Californication is a huge hit for them. It's a great show. Season four has been fantastic so far, and Shameless is doing really well. And so falling between those two shows, even though they're all, I can see, I mean, I do, I can see how someone would watch all three shows, but I can also see how each one could have its different audiences. Even on a premium cable net. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, they're, they're somewhat closely related, but it's also, they could reach very different audiences. And so I could see how, if I had to pick an odd one out, it would be episodes, but, um, you would just think that if more people were going to buy Showtime, that you know most people are going to watch everything that's on there because they're paying for it, and it's not like they're going to watch movies. That's dumb. So they'd be <laughs> watching everything, but apparently they're not. But episodes did get better. Shameless is fantastic. It's a great, great role for William H. Macy. I've never been an Emmy Rossum fan, but I really like her on that show. It's, just, it's a really great um, look at a dysfunctional family not done by Netflix. Do you have anything else, Noel? No. I mean, we could talk about... Um, I can talk a little bit about, if you guys were interested, about um, the whole Egypt revolution and as it related to television. Which yeah, is, yeah. Go for it. Um, for me, um, on Friday, I was at work, and I'll go ahead and say this anyway, because I'm sure they knew that I really wasn't working that much on Friday, even though I was. Really, I was. I promise. I was working really hard on Friday. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> was, um, as some of you may be aware, um, Egypt kind of had a, um, a protest slash revolution slash I'm not quite sure what we're calling it just yet. 
Um, but Al Jazeera English kind of had its um, CNN moment, um, referring, of course, to when CNN broke out onto the scene with um, the first Gulf War in uh, the early 90s. Um, on Friday, from what I understand, since I was at work and couldn't see CNN or Fox or MSNBC, um, they really weren't covering a whole lot of what was happening in Egypt, even though the headquarters of the ruling party um, that has been in power in Egypt for the past two decades or more was on fire, basically, that people had put the building on fire in protest after a curfew, curfew had been instituted. And all of this was watching happening live, and you could watch it live on Al Jazeera English's website, which was really fascinating and interesting because Al Jazeera has been floating around on the fringes, I think, really, since about 2008 was when we started noticing it. And there's a great documentary called The War Room that talks about them. And it's a really fascinating, fascinating documentary, and I'd recommend it. But I think for me, watching my Twitter feed and watching people talk about it, we were having to go to the Al Jazeera website to get anything without what was happening, basically. Because CNN and Fox weren't talking about it. Um, CNN was doing its CNN thing, which is nothing respectable at this point. And Fox... Even apparently during their segment that they have during the afternoon called What's Happening Now, they weren't talking about it. Wait, pause. What's Happening Now is an actual segment? And not yeah, like, a 70s what, sitcom? No, not a 70s sitcom. Huh, interesting. <laughs> no, so they were like, I mean, they were covering the um, Challenger anniversary, which, yes, very important, and you should cover that. But at the same time, there was a revolution occurring in a in the most populated Arab, not Arab, um, most populated Islamic country in the world. And they weren't talking about it. And it was just really bizarre to me that this wasn't happening on television, that I was having to go to a television website and watch it on my computer at work because the supposedly American networks weren't covering it for me. And the only other place that I knew that there would be coverage was a very nicely done bit on The Daily Show on Thursday night about it, where they talked about the causes of the, what was causing all these um, uprisings and protests, where the news media in the U.S. was saying, oh, well, it was George Bush's speech back during tail end of his term. No, no, it was President Obama's speech right after he got elected. No, no, it was Twitter and Facebook. And then they have Asif Manvid from Cairo saying, well, no, it was local conditions. And there you go. I mean, it's frustrating when the two major media outlets for the United States can't tell me anything but how it related to us. And But I can get semi-nuanced discussion slash satire of it from The Daily Show, which I, I've come to expect. But now I have to go to a website that will also grill American officials because they had this guy from the State Department on, and he was just floundering. It was really rough watching this guy on Al Jazeera's news feed get beaten up, basically, by their um, anchor. It was really vicious, <laughs> actually. The guy, the woman would not let the State Department official off the mat about what was happening. It was really, really impressive, actually. And I think something needs to be said for that kind of quality coverage that 
we can't get elsewhere, and that's kind of frustrating. But so it was really fascinating, and I mean, I was even flipping back to CNN this morning um, to see because um, the opposition leader in Egypt was supposedly going to give remarks at a um, major public square in um, Cairo, I think. And they were still talking about the State of the Union and it injured Bears quarterback, I think. <laughs> and I just didn't oh, yeah, understand yeah. where the hell their priorities were. Well, I mean, Super Bowl Sunday is just a week away. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is! Super Bowl Sunday! Oh. <laughs> we can talk about the Super Bowl next week as a television event. Leah Michelle's doing the State of the Union. It'll oh. be very exciting. Not the Fuck State of the Lee Union, Michelle. the, um, whatchamacallit. I'm so angry that, that Glee has the honor of being the post-Super Bowl show this year. I am outraged. Every time I see that stupid Super Bowl Glee billboard over on Fairfax, it makes me angry. <laughs> as it should. As it, it should. makes me angry. And because they're going to butcher Michael Jackson and he's already dead and people still don't like him because he touched little kids and this is just this is worse than that this is glee doing michael jackson is worse than michael jackson being a child molester and we have the entry quote (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah oh that reminds me we're gonna have to record this podcast like on saturday because yeah we'll have to do it next saturday because this i mean yeah i'm I'm not gonna be around on sunday no you're not yeah that's fine. You guys suck. I mean, what am I supposed to do on Sunday then? Watch the Super Bowl. How are you going to be able to care. talk about it? How are you going to be able to talk about it? With, oh, we're not going to talk about it because it's going to be Saturday. But right, right. yeah, uh, I don't know. Watch. Yeah, watch it for the commercials, like all the other ladies do. <laughs> all right. Well, I'm hanging up now. You guys have a nice time. <laughs> you know what? I don't have to take that kind of tone from. The two of you who watched Gossip Girl, The Vampire Diaries, Pretty Little Liars, hey, and The Gilmore Girls. Neither of us watch Vampire Diaries. Oh, but did you watch Pretty Little Liars? No, and see, I'm behind. I hate God. Work has been pilot season's killing us. I haven't I haven't seen Pretty Little Liars since the, like the second episode. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm like uh, way yeah, behind. Yeah, but I did I did finally watch Gossip Girl yesterday, and I'm gonna try and um I'm gonna write I'm I'm going to take the time to do it tomorrow. Um, I'll mention the stuff that happened because it was a good episode. I doubt I'll do a dual review, but I'll mention the stuff that had happened because right. it was good. But <laughs> but shut up, Noel, because Gossip <laughs> Girl and Pretty Little Liars are great shows. <laughs> Gossip Girl is about to become the most successful show Josh Schwartz ever had. Well, I mean, better than OC, really? Well, longer. Oh, it's true. It's not in any danger of being canceled, and Chuck, <laughs> which Chuck and I said about Chuck, right? So I mean, I mean, they've both been around for the same amount of time, though. Yeah. So um, they could both make it to season five, and then they'd be his longest-running shows. <laughs> so we'll see. Uh, I don't know how I feel about that. I really, really don't. <laughs> well, I think that we're at the end of our podcast, and I'm going to say, Matt, challenge. Failed. I did. I failed because I forgot. <laughs> I needed to write it down. I was okay for a while, but I missed the Super even Bowl the, one. When we talked about Thirty Rock, yeah. Even when we talked about Thirty Rock, and we mentioned Island about thirty times. What no. Island? When did you say Island? Talking about Mel Gibson. Oh island. damn it! That's one of that's one of my keywords. Island, others. Um, what else? You didn't do anything for the Al Jazeera bit, so I mean. Yeah, but then if I like brought up Saeed, it would have been like racist. Like I can't, I didn't even want to go there. 
Not as racist as Fox not knowing where Egypt is on a map. That's true. I am better than the entirety of Fox News Channel. But I knew that already. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So I guess for from everyone here at the Monsters Intelligence Podcast, thank you for listening. Yes, and, you know, be okay with the fact that there's a British guy playing Superman now. Yeah, guys, really, it's not that big. I mean, Batman and Spider-Man are already British. Let's just complete, you know, the trifecta. Well, Batman's actually Welsh. Well, okay, fine. See, all right. So I ended up being racist anyway. It's still British. Great Britain is British. Yeah, they are great. Boom! Lawyered. Lawyered. <laughs> you got it in anyway. Uh, That's what she said. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. <laughs>